Life presents various issues with a multitude of solutions. Having issues is easy. Getting to the solutions is hard. If you're up for a good challenge, stay tuned and welcome to Qualified Issues. Welcome. This is Chris Galloway. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. And today we're going to talk about goal setting. This kind of falls in line with the preparation stage in the trans theoretical model of change. I just want to do a really brief review. Um, remember, this whole season is about change. And so the first review point is understanding what change is. It is lifelong. It is mostly unavoidable. There are some changes that can be avoided. And in general, there's about six kinds of change. There's internal and external, controllable and uncontrollable, and beneficial and non-beneficial. And we've also touched on the need for focus. It helps us in completing tasks. And the goal there is to have some balance and control over hyper-focus and lack of focus. And then there's also understanding the need for self-awareness. This can help us with accountability for the choices that we make. And the goal there, of course, is to be honest with ourselves and other people as well. And then the final review point has to do with the last podcast, which was about identifying needed changes. And in there, we learn to identify issues and the changes needed to resolve those issues and in, in identifying issues, we are differentiating between trauma, drama, and issues. And that falls under the contemplation stage of the trans-theoretical model of change. So that brings us to the preparation stage. And the first point I would like to make here is it's important to check your intentions. Um, somebody can give money to a charity with the, and another person can also give the same amount of money to the same charity. However, those intentions can also be different. One person's intention might be to truly just be helpful. They believe in that charity and what they're doing. So they're going to give money to that charity with the intention of truly helping out. The other person might be giving money to the same charity in the same amount. Um, maybe they do like that charity. However, their intention might be to be able to later, you know, brag about, oh, I gave this much money to a charity. And um, someone else also, you know, maybe they just want that tax, tax write-off. And so they've just randomly picked a charity. So when you're making a change, when you're choosing a change, it is important to understand the why behind that change. So to understand the why behind the change, we want to look at what are the benefits of change in general. And you can kind of use this list to go through and check your why for the change that you've chosen. So these benefits of change come from two different articles that I read. One is from minimalismmadesimple.com by Rebecca in December of 2019, called 15 Inspirational Reasons Why Change is Good. The second article comes from wildsimplejoy.com by Dawn Elizabeth in February 2022 called 10 Powerful Reasons Why Change is Good for You. 
So in true form, I have gone through those and kind of um, melded them together um, into about 10 to 15 um, very uh, general benefits of change. So the first one is change can help you move forward. This is true, right? A really basic good example of this is if you choose to go and get a degree or training in something that can move you forward um, career-wise, financially. Uh, the second one is change can provide new experiences. If you've ever moved, even if it's from one neighborhood to another, you know there's usually new experiences there. Change can provide new opportunities. Again, going back to getting more training or education in a certain area can give you more job opportunities. Change can improve people, things, and situations. Um, I, I like this example of you go to a thrift store, you see this beautiful piece of furniture, maybe it's kind of worn down. We are going to improve that thing, that piece of furniture, by changing it. And you can kind of take that metaphor and apply that to situations and people as well. Change can inspire creativity. Let's take that metaphor of the old piece of furniture again. Um, you can get very creative. It can inspire you to be more creative. You might see a new piece of furniture um, that you bought. And after fixing the old one that you got at the thrift store, you might think, you know what, I want to do something different or more creative with this piece of furniture I already have. Change can be refreshing. Uh, again, furniture, if you, if you were to even move your room around, like change your room around or any room in your house around, sometimes it gives you this sense of, of refresh, renewal. Um, change can be healing. Obviously, if we are, let's say that um, you're an extrovert and you are just go, 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 and you like to talk to people all the time, sometimes changing your your uh, daily uh, lifestyle a little bit and having alone time, that can actually be very healing because you spend more time focusing on yourself leads to self-awareness, some introspection. You start to identify maybe other changes that you need in your life. Um, change can create resiliency. Resiliency is a super important trait to have, uh, quality to have um, in life. Uh, I don't believe it's something that you're born with. I think anybody can learn to be resilient. Um, it's being able to keep going in the face of challenges. And so if you have an unavoidable change, for example, and it presents you with a really big challenge and you're able to just keep going through that to the other side of that challenge, that is a good example of um, gaining and, and, and using resiliency. Change can provide a reason to live. If you look at somebody who is addicted to drugs, and a lot of times people, you know, addiction happens usually because they're trying to escape something, you know, or they're trying to feel something that maybe they have a very hard time feeling on their own. If you, if you change, though, as an addict and you, let's say you attend an NA meeting, um, you start uh, providing yourself a positive, healthy group of people around you. That's a change. And that can, that, that change of, oh, you know, life can be good without uh, drugs, you know, that can provide you a reason to live. So that's just, that's just an example, uh, kind of a rough one, but 
Um, change can provide a sense of security. Let's go back to you've gone to college, you get a new job opportunity, you take the opportunity. Um, maybe it's an increase in income. Well, that's also a, a sense of security. Uh, change provides assurance that everything is temporary, nothing lasts forever. Ain't that the truth? There is nothing in this world that lasts forever, right? Uh, everything is temporary. And that is usually a very positive uh, way to look at life. Because if you know, for example, that um, you know your kids are young and that's not going to last forever. If you have that thought in your head, well, this is just temporary, you know, this cute little, uh, <laughs> maybe even quote unquote, cute little two-year-old stage is temporary. Um, it can provide you relief, right? Knowing that you're not going to put up with the toddler tantrums forever. Um, but it also encourages you, motivates you possibly to spend more time with your child, um, knowing that that stage of mommy, let me sit on your lap is not going to last forever. Um, change can help you be more flexible. And that is definitely true. Um, in order to to move locations, um, in order to be a parent, and even with an animal, you know, though those are ongoing changes. And so it does demand that you are flexible, that you can change how you handle um, your workday, you have to change how you are a parent, change how you are a pet owner um, in order to adhere to the changes that happen in those areas of life. So it does help you with flexibility. Um, and change increases self-awareness, which makes you a better person. And that is true. If, if, if any of you who are listening have gone through all the podcasts, you know, and kind of worked on your own focus and self-awareness, you know that in doing so, you are identifying issues that you might have, and you want to work on changing those. And you know that those changes are hopefully beneficial changes, and those beneficial changes do tend to make us better people. <clears throat> I do want to kind of backtrack a little bit and remind everybody listening that feelings associated with change do depend on the type of change. So this is a reminder that, you know, change can make pe different people feel differently. Uh, they might, it might be scary, angry, sad, frustrated, excited, nervous, anxious, happy, calm. Uh, it depends on the type of change. And you can go back and, you know, listen to that, that podcast about uh, the different kinds of change in general that I see that, that we have in life. Um, and change can be easy or hard. And if it's an easy change, your preparation stage may not be that challenging or that involved. If you are up against a challenging or hard change, though, it might be something where you have to take a considerable amount of time to really prepare yourself and maybe your family or friends um, or your workplace for that change. Okay, so we've talked about um, the why of change. And now we want to move on to, to a being able to identify the type of change that you're looking to make. So kind of use like a change matrix, okay? Remember there's, in general, six types of change. So ask yourself this question, is the change you want to make controllable or uncontrollable? And what I'm talking about there is, is the change within your control. If it's not within your control, it might be unavoidable 
and you might not be able to prep for it as much as you would if it was in your control. Um, is the change you want to make internal or external? And this, this ties in with control because if the change you want to make is internal, you want to change how you feel about something, which I'm not going to go into it, but that usually takes us back to like the ABCDE model and um, being able to look at how your thinking is, which takes you back to um, perspective and beliefs, a whole bunch of stuff. But um, if it's an internal change in general, you are usually in complete control of that. If it's an external change um, and specifically like relational change, you may not have total control over that. Um, anybody who has an, a pet or um, a child knows that trying to get a behavioral change to happen in that pet or in that child, it is not totally within your control. That child has to make a decision to listen and obey mom or dad. Uh, that pet, usually you, you're going to go through an extensive training period with that, that pet. So, um, And then the last question here uh, to identify the type of change you're looking at is to ask if that change you want to make is beneficial to you and others or if it's unbeneficial to you and others. It could be a little bit of both. If you have to change a relationship, um, an aspect of a relationship with somebody, your, maybe your change is to add a new boundary. Maybe you've learned something about this person that, you know what, I don't want to be as close to them relationally as I was before. That's most likely a beneficial change to you. Um, to the other person, they might not see that as a beneficial change. But you also might be dealing with somebody who isn't very self-aware and doesn't see their own issue. Maybe you've tried to talk to them about their issue and they just don't see it. So um, even though they might see it as unbeneficial um, or non-beneficial, I should say, um, you might need it. And so therefore, it's still beneficial to you. Um, with those questions being said, it, this is another opportunity as you're going through those questions to check your intentions again. Okay. Are you putting this boundary up with this person because you just don't like them? Um, they're, they're harmful, um, to you in one way or more, or are you putting this boundary up because there's peer pressure? Um, and really this is a nice person, but you feel pressured into not being their friend anymore. So it's good to check your boundaries through all of this, uh, preparation stage, um, not boundaries, sorry, your intentions, check your intentions with, you know, all these questions and answers that you're going to work through. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the third thing that we want to do is to check our levels of self-efficacy and locus of control. These are related. So first, I'm going to give you some definitions here. Now, I used the Cambridge Dictionary to define self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is, quote, a person's belief that they can be successful when carrying out a particular task. So a, a rough translation of that is, I believe that I can clean the room. I, I know that I can clean the room. I have self-efficacy when it comes to cleaning up the room, okay? Uh, locus of control, this is a little bit more tricky. So we're going to uh, define this through psychologytoday.com, a staff member. There was no name given, no date given, um, but the title is called Locus of Control, and that's L-O-C-U-S, Locus of Control. Um, it's defined as uh, locus of control, quote, refers to the degree 
to which an individual feels a sense of agency in regard to his or her life. So there's two types of locus of control. There's internal and there's external. With internal locus of control, you have choices in your daily life that matter and create outcomes or effects for you and other people. So you are aware that you exist in the world. You are aware, therefore, that what you do and what you say has rewards and consequences and affects you and other people around you. The other type of locus of control is external. You perceive or believe Outcomes have little to nothing to do with you. Rather, you believe people and things outside of your control are responsible for those outcomes. So both of these are applicable in life, obviously. There are some things that happen that we have no control over. There are some things we do have control over. So let's talk about the relationship between those two. So if you have a mostly or fully external locus of control, I can almost guarantee you have low or no self-efficacy because it's very hard to believe you can accomplish something if what you do has no effect on the outcome. There's a dependency for your own personal effects and outcomes on other people. You know, we, we, you can kind of call this the blame game to a certain degree. Now, again, not all external locus of control is bad, but if you have such a uh, 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 if this has such a hold on your belief system, though, that you see that other people are responsible for good and bad things that happen in your life, that's a problem. Because remember, you are you exist in the world, and what you do and say matters. Okay, so internal locus of control, you probably have you know moderate to high self-efficacy. You can still have internal locus of control and still feel like. I'm not able to do this, right? Maybe a little bit of depression going on there. But with internal locus of control, the reason it, it it's kind of equal to good self-efficacy is that at that point, it's easy to believe you can accomplish things if you understand and believe that what you choose to do and or say affects outcomes for you and other people. There is more of a dependency on yourself, independence, to do what needs to be done. Therefore, you're likely to learn and practice in order to accomplish. You know, that old saying, practice makes perfect. Well, we know it doesn't always make perfect. We're all human. Nobody is perfect. Um, But if you have an internal locus of control and good self-efficacy, even if you're not sure you can complete the task, you're more likely to go and learn what you can and practice that task in order to accomplish it. So let's talk about how to increase self-efficacy and an internal locus of control, okay? Now, we again, external locus of control is good at times because you are not responsible for everything, okay? That, that's a whole other podcast talking about uh, are you a controlling person or not, right? That's a whole other podcast. But here we're going to talk about how to increase self-efficacy and internal locus of control, So this is another um, staff-written article with no date provided from psychologytoday.com called Locus of Control, same article that I referred to earlier. So one of the tips that they give is, as a parent, quote, encouraging a child's independence and teaching them to associate actions with consequences can result in better developed internal locus of control. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute because... As an adult, in essence, you're kind of your own parent, 
right? You want to, as an adult, there's an expectation that you have some self-discipline. So you are the one who needs to encourage yourself to be independent. You are the one that needs to teach or remind yourself that what you do, what you choose to do, whatever actions, um, words that you speak are associated with consequences. And that is supposed to help you have a better developed internal locus of control. Okay. Um, Another tip that they give is to recognize when you are, quote, blaming other people for your hardships and negative feelings, unquote. Now, this goes back again to controllable versus uncontrollable. When I work with clients, oftentimes I do ask them, um, is this issue that you're talking about totally within your control? If the answer is no, then at that point, it's okay to have that external locus of control and understand you don't have control over that. Um, I learned something when I was a student, a great phrase, and it's not my problem. Not my problem. I think that was probably one of the most important things I learned in graduate school as a student counselor is to know when it's your problem and know when it's not your problem. Another good phrase for that is not my monkey, not my circus. That is a a good way to, to put up a boundary when needed. If somebody is coming to you and say, hey, can you call this, th- this place for me and, and ask them these questions? Hey, can you look this up for me because I need to know the answer? Well, pretty much everybody has a phone. Everybody has access to whether it's a, a, a computer or laptop at home, a smartphone, or they can go to the library too, right, and do those things themselves. And if you find that helping this person out with these things taking over what really is their responsibility has become taxing for you, that's when it's time to say, not my monkey, not my circus, not my problem. Of course, in a much kinder, more lover, loving, gentler way. You still want to be civil and kind to people. Um, <clears throat> so the psychology today does uh, give this answer uh, when you're dealing with other people who are trying to put their issues or drama or even traumas on you, they say, quote, focus on the parts of the problem that are within your control. So it's not a bad thing to be helpful, but if you find that somebody is repeatedly doing this, it's very consistent, maybe almost on the daily, they are asking you to do something that you know they are capable of doing themselves, it might be time to put up a boundary and like they say, quote, focus on the parts of the problem that are within your control. No, it is your problem. No, it is not your problem. Okay. All right. So the fourth step here, um, when you are working on change, um, the preparation stage of change here, is to gather information. Um, Part of making effective goals and steps is being informed. Uh, When you, if any clients come and see me, they have to sign an informed consent before you have surgery. You sign an informed consent because you are making a choice to um, participate in therapy. You are making a choice to participate in, in medical care. So that's why we have informed consent because it is part of making effective goals and steps and choices. Okay. So a good example is we'll go to the oral care example I've used in, in previous podcasts. Um, you want to know the best products, techniques, oral care schedules even for like sensitive gums, for example, okay? Another part of being informed is read, read, read reviews. 
This is something I rarely ever did um, until I met my husband. He gets full credit for this, by the way. Um, I really was just wanting to get in and get out, get what I needed to buy and get out, um, even online, like with Amazon, right? And I remember one day he said, well, wait, 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 what, what do the reviews say? And I thought, oh my gosh, he reads the reviews? It's such a waste of time. But it's not, though. My husband taught me something very, very good and beneficial. Read reviews, okay? Because sometimes you can have, uh, I was reading a shampoo uh, uh, thing the other day, a, a product description the other day, and I thought, oh, this sounds wonderful. And then I could hear his voice in my head, read the reviews. So I read the reviews. Yeah, the majority of people, 75% of them, of the reviews I read anyway, said it was horrible. Do not get the shampoo. So I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't need that. Okay. Um, make sure that when you're gathering information, that you include information you already know. And that includes knowing what does and does not work for you. Okay. So it, let's go to that oral care example. If you know that writing down on a piece of paper, don't forget to floss, brush, and rinse, is not going to work for you, but you know that setting an alarm at the time it needs to be done will work for you, set the alarm. Even if, if somebody else says, oh, just write it down, it will be fine. That's for them. That's their opinion, right? You need to do what works for you. This is your change that you are trying to make. And you need to exercise ownership over the change. And part of that is doing what you know is going to work for you. Okay. Um, I got this article uh, called... Uh, Stages of Change Theory. Uh, it's from March 2022, the National Library of Medicine by Narain Rehan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And Mark Cogburn. There's a quote in here. Um, quote, if bypassed, he's talking about gathering information. If bypassed, individuals tend to plan insufficiently without thoughtfully considering the impact the change will have in their lives, end quote. And that's what we're kind of going through here. You know, as you work through gathering information, asking yourself what kind of change you're doing, checking your intentions, that's what we're doing is looking at the impact that change is going to have on your life. So that's why gathering information and um, planning sufficiently is very important. So another thing to ask yourself here, is the cost of change worth the benefit of the outcome? And that's what we call roughly a cost-benefit analysis. What will this cost you? Financially, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally. There's a few in there that I think most people don't think to ask themselves, and those are all really important. Um, what is the benefit to you and others? Because as I said earlier, change will not always benefit others, and sometimes it will not always benefit you, but also it may not harm you. So you, you want to be able to look at the full picture here when you are preparing to make a change, okay? So we're going to move on to the next step, which is creating goals. I don't know about everybody listening, but I am a planner. I am a short-term planner. I am a long-term planner. I love charts, calendars, whiteboards, all that stuff. I I used to have three planners and I had not used any of them, but one. And then when I had to throw that away, the other two were out of date. So I have moved on to buying undated calendars. I think it's a bit of an obsession, but I don't see anything wrong with it. Because like I said, I like to be organized. I like to plan. All right. So when you're creating goals, number one, write it down. 
it helps you remember them more. Okay, um, you want to place it somewhere where you will see it every day as a motivating reminder of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay, so write your goals down. If anyone has ever had a spelling test, as I assume all of us have, um, one of the best ways to remember how to spell a word is to look at it. And while you're looking at it, say the word out loud. And while you're looking at it, spell the word out loud. And then to write it down and spell it out loud while you're writing it down. These are ways that help your brain to remember things better. Um, So the second step in creating goals is to break big goals down into smaller steps, okay? So if your goal is to floss, brush, and rinse three times a day every day, that's great. You write that goal down. The smaller steps, though, floss, brush, rinse after breakfast, floss, brush, rinse after lunch, floss, brush, rinse after dinner. You see how you're, you're taking that big goal and you want to break it down into more. Another good example of this is when you have to write like a term paper, okay? Um, maybe step one is to pick your topic. Okay, the overall goal here, just a reminder, is to write a term paper. Step one, pick a topic. Uh, step two is create an outline. Step three, gather your research. Step four, you know, you break it into smaller parts. And in that way, you are also less likely to do that at the last minute. Okay. Um, the third step in creating goals is to create a schedule. Use those time management tools, calendars, planners, alerts, alarms, written reminders, um, recorded reminders, uh, a friend who's going to call you and harass you to remind you to get that done. Okay, so here an example, maybe you do oral care at 7 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m. Maybe you floss the top teeth in the morning and do the bottom in the evening. There's a lot of different ways to reach goals. Like I said, though, breaking them down into smaller steps is super helpful, and it makes it seem a lot less overwhelming, okay? Um, Another good idea is to get support. These are going to be people or rewards that will keep you motivated when you feel like giving up. Okay, so gather support. And this came from, I've heard of SMART goals before, could not remember where I heard it from, but I thought I'd give everybody um, a resource here to go look at. This is on Forbes.com by Kimberly Leonard and Rob Watts in May of 2022 called The Ultimate Guide to SMART Goals. SMART, the word SMART is all caps. It's an acronym. Okay, so S is for specific, and then we have measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Okay, so specific. If you create goals that are very general, it will be easier not to complete them. It will be easier. Um, Measurable. If you do not measure your progress, you will never know if you are actually moving toward your goals. Achievable. Create goals and steps that you are able to do. For example, if you want to lose weight and know you have control issues with food, do not ward off all sweets right away. For some people, that will work. For some people, it won't. It might be more effective to wean yourself off or allow a cheat day instead. R is for relevant. Make sure that your goals are relevant to your overall goal. Make sure your steps are relevant to your overall goal. So for example, if I want to lose weight, no amount of reading is going to help that. Reading information about losing weight should already be completed and not part of my steps or goals. Just as reading will not improve oral care or a relationship, reading is good for informational purposes, but it will not create an action 
that will move you closer to your goal. Your intentional relevant actions will move you closer to your goals. So again, reading is something we want to do when we're gathering information. Okay. Reading is good for planning, but just know that when you're making a goal, the reading part, you know, unless you're doing a term paper or something, but in general, uh, when we're dealing with basic life issues and life changes, in general, reading is more of a gathering information, not an actionable goal. Okay. And the last part of SMART goals is time bound. So just as we talked about with focus, if you have no time limit for your steps towards your overall goal, you may never achieve it. Okay. We could also say deadlines. One caveat to this is if the step is an ongoing behavior you want to maintain, a deadline may not work in keeping a wanted behavior uh, on an ongoing basis. So if you want to become a vegan, for example, um, having a deadline may not help you maintain that. So just keep track of what you're wanting to change. Is this a one-time change? Is this an ongoing change? Make sure that you know what, what your outcome wants to look like. And if it needs a deadline, attach a deadline, okay? If it needs to be a time-bound uh, task, make sure that you have that written down on your goals. All right, so a good example of SMART goals, I'm going to use one of my kiddos that is um, now in the military, okay? And when he was prepping for boot camp, number one, he gathered all the information. Part of this was due to the recruiter, of course, who was really great about giving him all the info that he needed. Step two, he created a specific workout plan. Step three, he measured the completion with devices, Okay. Um, and he measured his increase or decrease in strength and weight. Um, number three, he chose exercises to start out with that he knew he could do. This goes to self-efficacy and internal locus of control. This uh, goal, this smart goal thing that he worked through, he knew it was on him. It's not like he was going to take his brother or me or his dad to boot camp with him. He knew that this was something he had to know he could do. Okay, an internal locus of control, he had to be the one to choose to do it. Did he always do it? No, he wasn't consistent, but he still graduated boot camp. So um, number five here, relevancy. The exercises he did choose were related to boot camp physical training exercises that he learned about in gathering information. Okay, um, And then the last one, the workouts were scheduled. He had to reach certain levels by his departure date for boot camp, which he had reached earlier. But this is just um, a, a very general example of how you can take SMART goals and apply them to something, to, to a goal that you want to reach. So that wraps up today's podcast on goal setting. Again, this is part of the preparation stage of the trans-theoretical model of change. Remember to Check your intentions, your why behind uh, the changes that you're choosing to make. Make sure that you are gathering information, that you know what kind of change you want to make. Use that change matrix with the six different kinds of change, internal, external, controllable, uncontrollable, beneficial or unbeneficial. Check your levels of self-efficacy and locus of control, whether it's internal, external, if you have a good balance of those two, a good hold on those two. Um, Make sure that you are gathering the information that you need so that you can make uh, smart goals, uh, steps towards those bigger goals. Make sure you break those bigger goals down. 
um, gather your support, use a schedule, and um, read about other people. How have other people reached their goals? Use that self-awareness to make sure that you know what's going to work best for you as well so that you are not uh, hitting barrier after barrier and not able to reach your goals. Okay. So if you have any questions or comments, like always, you feel free to email me at fortheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. That's for the love of therapy at gmail.com. Remember, a podcast is never a substitute for therapy. Thank you so much for listening to Qualified Issues, and I hope you'll join me next time.